Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independentartiststhinkers. Great to have you with us. Tracy L. Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers, and I'm so happy to welcome you to the show today. We've got a great show lined up for you. I'm really happy and thrilled that so many people are listening to the show um, live and in the archives and the iTunes podcast channel, and I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independentartistthinkers, and the chat is open now. Um, email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest. You can reach me at Tracy at TracyLSlatten.com, and that's Tracy, T-R-A-C-I. In the coming weeks, we've got some great guests coming on. I'm really excited. Next week on Tuesday, December 22nd, which is a special day for independent artists and thinkers because of the holidays, musician Christabel of the Australian group Kinder Jazz We'll be on to talk about unlocking your child's genius by exposing them to the right kinds of music. How cool is that? On Thursday, January 28th, attorney Stuart Gartner will be talking about divorce and the battlefield of love. So, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we go there. Um, and then we, I've got other guests that I'll be confirming over the next few weeks. So tune in. Keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com and the blogtalkradio.com, uh, blog talk radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so happy and delighted today to have actress and author Victoria Pratt on to talk about wrangling the arts. And she's really multi-talented, so it's very exciting. Victoria has spent her adult life playing superheroes, supervillains, and cops on television and in the movies. From her start on the action series John Woo's Once a Thief to Marvel Comics Mutant X to ABC's Daybreak to a mountain of lifetime movies, Victoria has learned a thing or two about crafting strong female characters. 
Victoria's writing career actually started long before her acting career with a monthly column in Oxygen magazine. Next came screenplays, women's magazines, and finally her debut novel, Double Down. Victoria spends her time between her home in the Hollywood Hills and her family in Canada. Currently, Victoria recurs as Casey McMurtry on Canada's longest-running hour-long drama, Heartland, where she literally, that's right, runs the rodeo. You can find out more about Victoria at victoriapratt.co. Victoria, welcome. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you. Well, I, we have a guest um, right away. So is it okay if I put this guest on? To, to, I don't know, someone, a caller, to see what this person would like to say? Sure, why not? All right, so instead of starting with our <laughs> usual questions, we'll start with a caller. Caller, you are live on the air. Hello? You're on. Hi. You're on. This, oh, Hi. I am? Oh, cool. Hey, Victoria, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, I just wanted to say first, I think you're pretty amazing, and I really love you, Shalimar, on the next. You totally oh, kick butt. <laughs> and um, it's so cool to talk to you. Uh, oh, I did, did I give you my name? No. No, I'm Terrence Harshbarger. Oh, hi. From Facebook? Yeah. Yes, I know, I know. I've got such a great oh, okay. Facebook and Twitter family. It's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. And my question is, do you have any future projects with movies or TV lined up in 2016? Are you going to be doing anything? Am I going to be doing anything? <laughs> yeah, well, you got anything like starting to get lined up or, you know, that's what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Sorry, question. I'm just... This is like beyond cool. I'm actually talking to somebody I really like. So, Aww, you know. that's sweet of you. Um, yeah. And to answer your question, I um, I do have some some cool stuff coming out. I just finished a um, a very cool movie that we shot down in uh, in Mexico called Cops and Robbers, mm-hmm. and uh, that was directed by Scott Windhauser, and it's got Michael J. White and Tom Berenger, and it was it was just a great experience so that's um i'm not exactly sure when that's coming out but we just wrapped um i did another sort of cop and robber one called the last heist with mike mendez and terrence combs from uh from rain and he was in the tutors he's amazing um so that one's coming out as well and i'm about to start shooting right after the holidays a a very cool horror film called possessions and I'm very, very excited about that. We've already done some of the pre-production work with the special effects team and stuff like that. So I'll be heading up to Montreal in January to do that. And, of course, I'm uh, busy into book number two for my Cassidy Jones series of novels. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I plan on keeping pretty busy. You know, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Thank well, you. Thanks for calling uh-huh. in, Karen. Yeah, well, Karen, thanks for calling in. And um, uh-huh. call back later if you have time. All right, cool. I'll do that. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> thanks. It's so nice, nice to, to be able to put a voice Victoria. to this. It's, it's oh, a dream come true, really. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Victoria, I'm going to start yeah. in on some of my questions because I think some of your fans will be calling in. And that is the first question, and this is where I usually start with my guests, and that is, tell us how you got started. How did you begin your journey, and what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be involved in acting as well as writing books? 
were the arts a major presence in your home when you were growing up? I know she, I know you're also very interested in fitness. Um, what did you think you would be? So start with your childhood and lead up till now. And I know it's a big question, so uh, <laughs> that was a huge question. <laughs> so start with my childhood. Yeah. How'd you become who you are? Start early, um, until now. Gosh, well, I mean, I grew up in a very small sort of farming community, um, about three hours northwest of Toronto. So, you know, we didn't have arts programs and things in high school. We just, you know, we just didn't have it. We had 350 kids in in our school, and that was nine all the way to senior year. So we didn't, we didn't have a lot of options that way. Um, but when I was in high school, we did um, a musical, and it had been 20 years since our high school had done one before. Just aligned, and they thought, you know what, we might have enough kids to actually put on a high school musical this year. So we did Little Abner, which is what they had done 20 years previous. And uh, they held auditions, and I will never forget, I marched into this room, I think I was 15, and uh, <laughs> we had to sing a song, and I went in there. I mean, I have to sort of backtrack and say that we didn't have a lot of music on in the house. My mom doesn't love, you know, having music on. My dad does, so he would go and hide away with his headphones and listen to the stereo, and <laughs> I would listen to his record. So I went into this this is this classroom in front of our, you know, our English teacher and our choir teacher, you know. <laughs> and I sang Helen Reddy's I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. <laughs> That's so <laughs> cool. Which is hilarious. Anyways, I ended up getting Daisy May. And, um, you know, that's probably where I got my first my first little inkling that, that I thought the entertainment business was cool. But it never occurred to me that that would be a possibility as a career, you know. It's it's different now with the Internet. And I think, you know, kids can make their own movies and have their own little YouTube channels. And you can be a, you know, you have access to media now when you're a kid, like anywhere in the world. And we didn't when I was when I was little. So it never occurred to me that I could be in the entertainment business. To me, that was just, you know, those are the people that sit in a box in your living room to, it didn't even occur to me that I could be an actress. So I went to York University where I studied kinesiology and I have a kinesiology degree. And I was very bookish and very athletic. I ran for the track team there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I set myself down a completely, completely different course that didn't involve entertainment in the least. Um, well, how, how did you, got, what is, what is kinesiology, and how did you get from kinesiology to, you know, being this great actress and, and an author? <laughs> uh, kinesiology is basically the, the study of the body and movement, and it allows you to go into all sorts of different things, into medicine or therapy, um, coaching, teaching. Um, I, As I said, I was very bookish. I got a scholarship to work in the human performance lab there. And York University, it's the second biggest university in Canada, and it has the best program in regards to that. And their human performance lab is the center for elite athlete testing in Canada. And so we would test elite athletes. We would test the National Figure Skaters and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, um, you know, we'd do drug testing for the Olympic Committee. And, you know, we just got to work with all these amazing people, and we did – you know, firefighters before they could be hired to make sure that they could do the things that they needed to do in a fire. And we did research. On like it. like run up and down the stairs carrying 100 pounds of equipment kind of thing? <laughs> yes, it was funny. And in fact, um, 
you know, I was at the time, and still really, you know, five, six, 120 some odd pounds, you know, an athlete. And back when I was in school, they were really making a push to get more women onto, you know, into firefighting. And, and there was a big debate as to whether or not women should be a, allowed to be on it and would they have to change the the prerequisites to get women onto the into the boroughs and and so they'd trot me out once a year <laughs> and uh and I would perform all the tasks that the men would perform and and I was getting you know the ninetieth percentile and I was sort of the poster child for no you don't change you don't change the requirements for women because the fire doesn't change because a woman's approaching it, you know. Mm. Mm. And if you want to be a firefighter, guess what? You have to be strong and you have to, you know, you have to be able to lift a body and put a ladder onto a truck and, you know, all, all these things. So it was really interesting um, time to be a part of that world. And I was very much into the research and, and that was a great experience. I ended up um, writing a book with one of my professors and my my acting route is so circuitous that I ended up going to the office of Muscle Mag to buy photos for this book from my professor. And Robert mm-hmm. Kennedy, who is the publisher of Muscle Mag and later Oxygen, I met with him. And, you know, I had always been an athlete and was always in, in very good shape. And he looked at me and said, I want to do a photo shoot, shoot with you. And I, of course, said, no, that's silly. not my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Never imagined. <laughs> he was very, very persistent. And finally I said, okay, fine. Let's just do a shoot. And we did, and it turned out just amazing. And he was so encouraging. He was he was my greatest mentor and a true, true friend in every sense of the word, just a wonderful, wonderful man. And he gave me contracts with his magazines. And when he started up Oxygen Magazine, I was his first cover girl. I wrote for that magazine for years, and he, he was a true friend of mine. And uh, he passed away a few years ago, and it was it, I still feel his loss to this day, but uh-huh. he was... He was the one who said, he always called me Vixie, with his British accent of his. Vixie, you need to take acting classes, girl. <laughs> I'll never forget it. And I just, you know, I never saw it, you know, because I still saw myself as an academic. And um, he's the one who said that, you know what, if you don't do it, if you don't pursue it, you'll you'll regret it. But it'll come, there'll come a time when you'll look and, and say, I wish that I had done it. So I mm-hmm. took his advice. And I went and took acting classes for probably two and a half, three years before I even got the courage to get an agent and and go on an audition. And it was my very first audition. I ended up getting a series, which was, you know, amazing. That never wow. happened. I was, I was so lucky. But I was prepared. I I didn't, you know, I didn't just didn't run out there and get an agent and say, hey, I've been in fitness magazine, hire me for something. I, I did the, the training and made sure that I was prepared for my first opportunity. Uh-huh. Hello? So you know that's how uh, that's how I got into it. And um, was that what was that series? It was it was a John Woo action series called John Woo's Once a Thief, and um, I auditioned for this role. She was a you know an eighteen year old mob boss and like a Val gal mob boss, and she just worked and she was ridiculous. And that's actually not the part I auditioned for. I auditioned for the part of a stripper in the show, but I went in and I did the stripper audition, and they're like, that that was cool. And then I went out into the parking lot, you know, dressed like a complete whore, 
And the, <laughs> the casting assistant ran out and grabbed me before I got in my car. And she had in her hands, like, this dream of pages. Just, here, would you read this? We want you to audition for this role, which was, you know, a much bigger role. And it was super fun. And, you know, I was in my mid-20s. And I was, you know, they wanted me to audition for a teenager. So I thought, mm, okay. <laughs> I came in and, and I just sort of inhabited that role and I got it and they liked my character so much that they brought me back as a um as a series regular. So my one time guest star turned into a, a series regular role and I was just so so lucky. That sounds fun. And did you get to kick ass in that role? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was it's funny because, you know, I'd never done anything like that before and so to be on a movie set all of a sudden you know just you know a lot of people start off with like little day players and you know one-line roles and eventually you know they they see how stuff works on set and you know you sort of build up to these big, big roles but I just I just jumped into the middle of it and you know handling guns and fighting and you know it was it was an incredible experience and I'll never forget just that feeling of of just just joy and just serious bliss at look at the cool stuff that I get to do. And, <laughs> you know, when you're on set, and it's different now because everybody's got cell phones and they're so immersed in their own world. But, you know, back in the good old days in the 90s, you know, people would go to set and they would talk with each other. And at lunch you'd sit and you'd talk. And in between takes you'd be exchanging stories. And it was it was quite the time to be to be acting, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and on a prestigious show too. It was it was a really really cool experience. I was so lucky. I was so lucky that I that I hit right away because I don't think I have the um, the starving artist mentality, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that I have that in me. Well, so, that's great. Uh, neither did Michelangelo, <laughs> by the way. Plenty of artists don't. There's some sort of weird cultural mindset that thinks that artists should have that mentality, but it is uh, historically inaccurate for the, you know, for good artists. Um, What did your family think of this sort of new venture of yours? Well, here's the thing, um, teacher, and my mom, she was getting her university degree when she was raising my sister and I. She, she's quit her job to raise to raise us and then decided that she wanted to go back and get her degree. So she was getting her psychology degree while my sister and I were in high school and she was so smart. She had her papers published. She was always on the dean's list. She, you know, so in our house, it was never a question of if you're going to go to university. It was when you go to university, you know, it was Mm -hmm. never a, oh, I might take a couple years off and decide what I want to do. That was our course was laid out in front of us and it just was a natural progression for us to go on to university. So, um, (laughs) and then I had a very successful, I had a very successful academic career. I had, you know, I had the highest marks in my faculty. I was, and I loved it. I loved it, loved it. So when I decided not to continue on with grad school and to pursue the fitness thing and do my writing, um, my parents never said it out loud because they've never been anything but supportive and they trust me and they trust my judgment. And I'm sure <laughs> their inner eyebrows <laughs> were probably <laughs> at the ceiling, you know, because it was a 180 for me. 
I mm-hmm. went from a very serious academic and student to, uh, hey, I want to try this thing that has absolutely no stability, you know. But to this day, they've never been anything but but just true supporters and so proud of me, you know. And it's they warm my heart just the thought of them. That's so I lucky. I can't imagine what they were thinking. I know. I am the luckiest girl in the world. I had the, I had, My family is so rad. I love them like crazy. And what was the fitness kinds of things you were doing besides, um, you know, doing covers for this magazine? And were you writing about it? Did that evolve out of kinesiology? You said you were a lifelong athlete. Was that mostly running track? That was mostly running track. It's funny, um, ever since I was like a little kid, I had energy to burn. And my parents, they saw this in me. They always found ways for me to burn it, probably for their own preservation, you know. I remember I had a pogo stick, and I would be in the garage in, you know, the winter, anytime, jumping on this pogo stick, having a contest with myself, and my mom would call me for dinner, and I'd be like, just this second, 2005, 2006, 2007, <laughs> like, I, I couldn't get off that thing. I was, I was always trying to beat my record, and there was no way I was going to, you know, voluntarily get off this thing. My parents you know, say I would be out running on the concession roads when I was, you know, the fourth grade. Oh, you Victoria, know, I... we've got another mm-hmm. caller. I'll take the caller. Okay. Okay. Yep. Caller, you are on on the air. Hello, Victoria. Hi. This is Kim from Twitter. Hi, Kim from Twitter. <laughs> How you doing today? Good. Did you sneak off from work? Uh, no, I'm still working, so shh. <laughs> Let's talk very quietly. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, of all your many talents, if you had to pick just one passion, what would it be? If I had to pick just one passion? Ooh, that's a good question. Work- well, you know, God, acting, that's- writing, uh, well, you know I mean, what? I know we live in a, I know we live in a world where you don't have to do that, but... I'm just curious if you had to narrow it down to just one. If I had to narrow it down to just one, my my greatest um, joy so far in the entertainment business has been in television. You know, there's just something about being on a television series where you get to go to work every day. And I mean, I've been lucky because I've been working with people who I really have enjoyed. Um so you go to work with every day with really interesting people that you enjoy. You get to know the cast and the crew and their families. And, and you know, you get to build a character over years. And it's almost like you become friends with the character that you're playing, you know. And there's just a certain level of comfort in knowing that you have a job. You know, movies are great, but when you rap, you're unemployed. And I I love going to work every day. I'm a I'm a worker. I love it. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel alive. It makes me feel useful. When I'm not working, I feel a little rudderless. Um, so the writing thing, even though I enjoy it and I love being able to, you know, just spew out what's in my brain, I'm not good at sitting and sitting still. And I I love the feeling of being active and moving. You know, um, so I'd have to say that if if I forevermore I can only do the one thing. It would probably be um you know, I will probably live on a series for the rest of my life. But nobody gets to do that unless you're on CSI. 
Have you ever had a hard time? I'm sorry. <laughs> the CSI people, they'll be in wheelchairs going, well, I think the butler did it. That's what I would want. Have you ever had a hard time shedding a character? You know what? Um, that's an interesting question, and and yes. And uh, I'm naturally a sort of a happy, sunny person. My my response to most things is humor, whether it's funny or uncomfortable. I make jokes, and I get that from my dad because he's, he's the same way. I find so many things funny. So the funnier characters, I mean, I wear them so easily, but the dark ones where you've got to get dark and twisted and, you know, crying and crazy, I find those ones so hard because I have to go to such a dark place to get there that it's hard to get out of it. You know, mm-hmm. I remember I did this film up in Calgary. This was years ago, um, called Hush Little Baby, and I, I can't even remember what show I had just finished. Um, but you know, I got called with this offer, and I read the script, and I tell my manager, um, "No, <laughs> don't, no thanks," <laughs> because my my character she's slowly going mad, and she's convinced that her baby that's inside of her is trying to kill her, and then when the baby's born, like she's you know she's convinced it's possessed, and it's. It was terrifying and horrible. I wanted no part of it. So my manager goes back to the producers and says, you know, thank you so much for the offer, but we're going to pass. And boy, didn't they just come back with more money. And, you know, my manager, Gordon, he calls me up again and says, so anyway, they sweetened the pot. And I'm like, still no. <laughs> and they kept going back and back and back. And then finally, the producer said to my manager, she goes, you know what? I've never dealt with anyone who was such a hard negotiator. <laughs> he said, we're not negotiating. We're actually just saying no. <laughs> and then he said, so finally, Jordan calls me up and says, listen, they, they really want you for this. And, you know, they were obviously probably getting close to production and, and didn't have a lot of choices left. But they said, they really want you for this. And what would it take? And I said, all right, you tell them to double their original offer and they got a deal. Wow. Oh, God. And when they came back and said, hey, so anyway, <laughs> they doubled their original offer with, I had to do it. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and I tell you, it, it was it was one of the hardest things because, you know, I'd go there every day and you'd be, you know, when you see a scene in a movie where the person's crying, you don't realize that that translates into seven hours of crying on set, Ugh. you know. It's not wow. just, you know, 30 seconds of you crying, it's, you're doing it over and over again, then you're doing it on the reverse, and you're doing it in the close-up. And it was this, yeah, I just felt like I was waiting in some emotional wasteland, and I, I didn't know how to shake it afterwards. And, you know, you'd go back to the hotel, yeah, you're not crying anymore, but your eyes are red and puffy, and you've got, you know, who looks good when they're crying? Nobody. You know, you've just got that ugly crying face because you've been doing it all day. People are looking at you like you've just been abused, and you just, oh. you just it's really hard to say those things. Oh. <laughs> you know, I get to play just the mean guy, the bad guy, or the funny person, or the superhero. Those are so easy for me because it, it's, um, it's not an emotional shattering, you know. And I'm also not the type who finds crying to be cathartic. You know how some people just say, oh, you just need a good cry? There is no mm-hmm. such thing as a good cry. For me, there is no such thing. <laughs> so I don't I don't find it comforting or healing whatsoever. So, yeah, that's hard for me. Well, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just wanted to real quick wish you a happy birthday and say I love Angel. Oh, thank you. So do I. She got steak for breakfast this morning. Oh, good for her. Yeah. 
Well, Kim, <laughs> for Kim from you. Twitter, thanks for calling in. <laughs> All right. You. Take care. You too. Bye. All right, Victoria, so, so you have a birthday coming up? Um, if I were to admit to these things anymore, then I would I would say that tomorrow would be my birthday. But Oh, well, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> it's actually going to be a very goals, happy birthday. Do you have any special goals for your birthday or for the coming year? Do I have any special goals? Yeah. You know what? I've, um, I sort of gonna, I sort of say that for New Year's, but I, I have to say that um, I think my greatest weakness and the thing that I need to work on most is the business side of my life. You know, I mean, you probably you understand you're an artist. It that's how your brain works. You're you you lean to the creativity, and you hope that if you do the work, then the universe will take care of you in the business sense. But that that actually doesn't happen. And I need to. I think I need to work on being more proactive business wise, and you know, getting over some of my fears with all the technology that you need. You know, you know, I've got this brand new website thanks to my dear publicist who's trying to drag me out of the dark ages. Um, and I need to be proactive with it and, you know, figure out how to not be afraid of it <laughs> and how to how to so navigate I, it and use it as a tool, you know? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll interject for our listeners that they can see this beautiful website at victoriapratt.co. And it is. It's a beautiful website. And since we are talking business, and I'll ask you to tell us about Double Down um, tell us about the novel and what are the origins of the novel and future of the novel, all, all good stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, Double Down, it's funny because it's it's a very personal book for me, but, but I have a feeling that if you ask any novelist, they'll say their novels are very personal. Um, and I have to address a question. Everybody keeps saying, are you Cassidy? Because because it is a very personal character for me. And I won't say that, that I'm Cassidy. Cassidy is is the character that I would fantasize about bringing to life on screen sometime, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I write from a perspective of a small-town girl because that's what I am. They always say that you write what you know. And I had the most amazing childhood and life growing up in a very small town. And unless you've lived in a small town, you can't even imagine you can't imagine what it's like to to a know everybody in your town and to b to have everybody know you um and there's just this this whole world that is so so funny and so quaint and so sweet and and then to sort of put that into a big city where you're always you're always sort of the fish out of water, which is kind of how I feel in los angeles you know i um I always feel like the farm girl who, who lives in L.A., I'm sure most people, you know, have a, a certain sense of that when they live, when they move to L.A. because it's just this hyper-real sort of place. But um, I try to write from a place of, of that, you know, of small-town roots, but being thrown into different situations. Um, so what is Double Down about? What happens? Double Down is, so Cassidy Jones, she's a small-town girl, and her her town is basically dying. Like a lot of the small towns, you know, they can't stand up to the the big sort of cities that sprout up around them and all the big superstores and how it sort of kills the commerce in their town. So she ends up having to go to the city to get a job as a cop. And I said it in North Dakota, which is a booming oil frontier now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's new money. It's a new town, and it's rough around the edges. So um, 
she's a cop in this oil town, and she's she gets her first job as a detective um, when one of the town founders is killed in one of his clubs, and it's a strip joint. She has to go in undercover. And, you know, it's funny, and it's sad, and it's, you know, she's a reverent, and she says all the things that, that you wish that you could say just don't have the courage to. And she's, mm. she's just a real ballsy female character, which is, in my heart of hearts, my favorite, favorite A type of character and B type of woman. So, you know, I wrote my favorite girl into this book. And a girl and I you think want to live. Her. You want to inhabit her. Do you see yourself playing her in a movie <laughs> or, or television version? Well, you know, it's funny because um, I've written a couple of pilots, and they're they're fun and they've had good traction and the problem with trying to tell a sell a tv show is that it i mean it's different than selling a movie it it's such a big commitment for anybody who wants to to buy a tv show you know because you're trying to to sell them years of content and as someone who i mean i've never run a show i've never written for a tv show sure i've done hundreds of hours of tv but i've never proven myself in that way and people are hesitant to take a chance on someone who is unproven. And sort of the resounding um, information that I received is if you're, a, if you're a property that they can buy, they're much more likely to turn it into a series. So by getting your book published, you've already been vetted. You've already proven that other people like this product. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just these, you know, however many people sitting in a room going, yeah, I think it's good. You know, publishers had to like it. Um, you know, agents and managers and critics. And there are a lot of people who have to like your book before it can get published. So <laughs> I said, all right, <laughs> I'm going to write a book. And then maybe we can turn it into a TV series. So in my heart of hearts, I wrote this hoping that it would become a TV series. I mean, by the time that it actually comes around to be a TV series, I'll probably be too old to play it. But there are so <laughs> many rad girls out there who would set this role on fire that, you know... I would just love to I would just love to provide that character for people to see every week. I would love it because you know what? I think women need it. And does Cassidy Jones have a love interest? What are her what are her interests besides solving this crime and being the sheriff? <laughs> well, so here's the thing. So I wrote a murder mystery because those are the books I love to read. Um and I love, you know, the humor and, and the, the, here's the thing that I that I crave when I read a book. I crave a strong female character, and I don't want her to be saved by the man, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I sold my murder mystery to a romance house because my character, she's saucy. She's, um, you know, she's a sexy, sexy character, and I wanted her to be unapologetic in her sexuality. And, you know, I wanted her to be... You know, she's like the George Clooney, the female version of George Clooney in, what was it, Out of Sight, basically, where, you know, he can sleep with people and and no one's going to think he's a big old whore. And Mm -hmm. I wanted her to have that sort of freedom where where she can be a sexual creature and not be judged for it. So that was was my mindset about this character. Having said that, she does end up with a love relationship, but it was really important for me that that it was on her terms and that never the damsel in distress that she was always very much her own woman and she chooses a man because she wants him, not because she needs him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a romance element to it. I don't know that it's a traditional romance. Um, just because she is such a strong forthright character. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's definitely there's definitely romance in there, and and you know you're sort of left with some warm fuzzies after it, which you know I like that. And and so she's got a book too. You're working on the next book um, for mm-hmm. Cassie. I am. <laughs> and it's <laughs> another murder mystery. It is, and she's getting into some serious trouble. She's um she's not used to having a boyfriend. We'll put it that way. <laughs> so it's not just work trouble she's got trouble on the home front she's bringing work home with her and it turns out to poorly <laughs> so I'm having a great time writing it it's um, it's an interesting process for sure and how do you find acting and writing and doing both at the same time because you're pretty busy as an actress so how do you find the energy and the stamina because it's not so easy to write a book you know what? It's not even about the stamina. It's um, I don't know that my brain is meant to split into two different directions. I know some people who can multitask and do a hundred things at once. I'm not. I'm not one of those people. When I'm acting, I can't branch off and and um, and write. You know, even if I have a day off, I I find it very hard to. I find it very hard to split back off into that Cassidy Jones land and. Um, you know, well, you know, writing, it's not just about sitting in front of the computer and and typing. It's about and having that world. And uh, to me, it takes longer to sink into it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's it's been tough for me because I've had to put my book aside a lot. Um, I mean, that's good and bad because it means that I'm acting and I'm making some money. But it, but it is hard to, to go back and forth between the two of them. And you know what I find I do really good writing is on the plane. Because I'm, oh, really? Uh, yeah. You know, I'm always sitting in a comfortable seat. There's no internet. There's no, you know, telephone. There are no distractions. I'm sure I've horrified some of my fellow passengers who lean across and read some of the stuff that I'm writing about. <laughs> you know, the killing or the sex or the stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? That's none of their business. I do, I do get good writing done on the plane. Yeah. And do you, how many books do you think will be in this series? Where do you see the series evolving into? I don't know. I mean, I think there are a lot of stories. Um, I I suppose it, it depends on whether or not I can actually manage to to spin it off into a series. But uh, you know what? Maybe maybe it'll just last until I find a character that I another character that I want to explore or another world that I want to write about. Mm-hmm. I haven't set a, a finite number on it. And can you summarize some of the more important points of what you've learned along the way as an actress and an author and a fitness guru? You know, what are some of the important things you've learned along this way, along this journey? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I don't even know if I'm the right person to ask about that. Um, I have to say that all of my my greatest achievements, I would say, or my Successes have come as a result of of um, taking risks, and I will say that it was a lot easier to do that when I was younger. Um, you know, I moved to LA without without a a job, without you know a big bank account, um, without my green card. I, I was I was really lucky. I was so bold. I didn't realize. Um, how 
harder road I had set for myself. And I think because I was so naive, it it all worked out because I didn't have fear holding me back. And I think fear is the thing that holds most people back from from achieving good things. Um, I was lucky. I got a series right away in New Zealand. And, you know, my green card was was set in motion because, you know, Aaron Spelling thought I was an alien of extraordinary ability, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that being able to take risks and trying to overcome that fear um, is is the only way to achieve great things. You know, when you when you make your decisions based on fear, you're you're making yourself small. You're making small choices. You're you're not thinking beyond that thing you're afraid of. And um, I think that's the the biggest piece of advice I have is to, if you have an idea, if you if you if you have a desire, you really have to overcome the fear because fear is crippling. And do you have any techniques you recommend to people for overcoming fear? How do you overcome fear when it comes up for you? You know what? You just it's blind faith. I don't I don't have those tools. I, I mean, I've never been to um to therapy. I've never I've never been that person. I've I've always I don't know. I don't I don't know any techniques other than what Nike says, just do it. You know, and it's the same with everything with you know, I hear people like, oh, I'm going to start a diet. I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm I'm going to write a book. I'm like, just do it. You know, mm-hmm. why 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 aren't you doing it right now? And that's the thing. You just, if, if there's something you want, then you need to do it right now. <laughs> you know, because there will always be a reason to put off going to the gym. There will always be a reason to put off you know, losing those 10 pounds that you put on since last Christmas. There will always be a reason why you can't sit down and write your book. There will always be a reason why you can't do anything that takes hard work. There will always be a reason not. But the reason that you do it, it has to be because your life's going to be better. Mm-hmm. And, and just, who is... Whenever you have a, sorry? No, no, go ahead. Oh, uh, no, go. Well, I was going to ask, who has inspired you? Um, who's inspired me? You know, my my greatest my greatest inspiration was Robert Kennedy from from Muscle Mag and from Oxygen because he was a man who he followed his dreams and he did the things that he was passionate about and he had a great life and surrounded himself with great people and he was so beloved. You know, he was such an amazing contribution to the fitness community and and a selfless mentor to a lot of people, you know. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to help me the way he did. And he didn't do it for any other reason other than he saw something in me and and he was so happy to give me an opportunity. And there was never a time when I couldn't just pick up the phone and call him and throw an idea against him and or even just call him up and say, hey, it's hard out here. And he would, he would always bolster me. He was, he was my biggest inspiration. It's wonderful to have someone like that in your life. Yeah, I miss him. I miss him. It's hard to find those inspirations in the acting world because um, there's just, it feels like so much of it revolves around luck. And, I mean, you have to be willing to give yourself over to that. 
because I've been on the other side of the casting casting table and I've, you know, the that whole rainbow casting is great. There's so much inclusiveness now, but um, you sometimes will not get a role because you're not the right ethnicity or because you look like the producer's ex-wife or, you know, <laughs> oh. there, there are a million reasons why you're not going to get a role. There are a million reasons why the best actor won't get a role. There are a million reasons why the third choice gets the role. And, um, and when you go to an audition and you think, oh, man, I've just knocked it out of the ballpark, and, you know, you just feel like that character, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky, actors are. We get, to, we get to inhabit all these characters and go in and play. Those auditions, if you can look at them like play and your, your opportunity to be that role for a minute, um, it's a good place to be. But when you leave the room and, and think that, that, that you've got it and then you don't, it's, um, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to take yourself out of it personally and realize that there's a business machine behind it. So it is hard to take inspiration from actors, I think, because a lot of it does boil down to luck. And, and um, you Victoria, know, I think a lot of, yes? We have another caller. Is it okay if I take this person? Okay. Caller, you are Hello? on the air. Hello? Hello, hi. you're on the air. Oh, my gosh, I couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> hi, this is Natalia. Oh, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Excellent, thank you. Oh, that's good to hear. Um, first of all, I just want to say uh, you're amazing, and I really love Double Down. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so how's, how's your next book coming along? When do you think you're, uh, when it will be finished? Um, I'm almost halfway done. So having said that, I have no idea when it'll be finished. And then once it's finished, you have no idea how long it'll take for them to edit it and, you know, come back with notes and whatnot. I, um, I actually didn't realize that that whole process took as long as it did. It was an eye opener for me. Um, but I'm, I'm trekking along. (laughs) Cassidy's in all kinds of trouble right now. Well, I can't wait to. I can, I really can't wait to read it again. Oh, thank you so much. And would you watch it if I made it into a TV show? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I I still haven't watched that Valley because it's not out here in Holland yet. So I'm still waiting for that. Oh, I hope you guys get it soon. I was really proud of that. We um, we uh, we all trekked off into the desert with our friends and and made this little movie, and we're really proud of it. Oh, that's really good. I can't, I can't wait to see it, because my friend has been to Death Valley, and it was so beautiful. I saw the pictures, and I was like, oh. Yeah, Death Valley is, I think, maybe the most interesting place in the world that I've ever visited, because it's um, it's this wild place that 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 looks different. Every direction that you look, it's like a different moonscape, and you feel like, Maybe I'm on Mars, or maybe I'm up in the Arctic. These salt fields that go on for for seemingly miles, and it just looks like you're on snow. And but it's 105 degrees outside, and it it is the weirdest, weirdest experience to be in Death Valley, and to realize that if you ran out of water, you'd you'd be done. <laughs> oh, wow. There are places in Death Valley that are so remote, and you just think if you ever broke down or got lost, that would be the end of you. And that you yeah. know that's I think why Death Valley the movie was so. Um, why it worked because we 
because we were such a small crew, we were able to take advantage of the the remoteness of it and the scariness of it. And, you know, it it made for a very interesting character in the movie. The Death Valley is a character in itself. Oh, wow. It's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah. I hope you get to I see bet. it soon. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so, too. I, I, I tried to figure out when, and they said it probably in May or something. So really? I'll have wow. to wait a while. <laughs> Yeah. And oh so you're, gosh, you're calling surprised. from Holland? Yes. Oh, cool. I love that. <laughs> oh, thank, <laughs> thank you. you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Uh, how's, how's Angel doing? She's doing great. She's, um, you know, she's 13 at least yeah. anyway. So it takes it takes longer for dogs to heal. Um, anybody else who's listening who doesn't follow me on Twitter or Facebook, uh, my dog uh, broke her elbow. And oh. so she's sort of on the slow recovery and part of her therapy is to eat steak while standing on the dog bed <laughs> wow <laughs> i know i wish that i'd had that kind of therapy when i was recovering from all my injuries but oh yeah me yeah. too <laughs> <laughs> it was funny i took her to physiotherapy for dogs and you know i used to work in a therapy clinic for humans so i was able to they gave me and apply it to her so i think she's doing all right she's bouncing back oh that's good to hear yeah, thank you for asking about my dog. I love her yeah. so much. Oh, well, I love animals as well. Uh, you you saw my rabbit, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for answering. And, um, yeah, to, also on Twitter, you know, I really love that. Oh, thank you. I'm, I, you know what, I really appreciate, I really appreciate that. I've, I've been really lucky because I've got, I've got this neat, group of people on Twitter who like to interact with me and play with me and and everybody's so respectful of my of me and of each other and um it's a really nice community that we've built it I don't know, I feel very, very lucky and I appreciate you too, so thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well have a great day tomorrow. I hope you get lots of presents and party. <laughs> And, oh, and my parents and, are coming, um, so that's the best present I could ask for. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's good. And I'm counting on the Twitter party. Okay. All right. We're <laughs> going to organize that for for, uh, for Valentine's Day. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's okay. <laughs> so thank you, thank so you much. for calling in. Thanks for calling thank in. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that was cool. Someone calling in from Holland. Yeah. It's funny how Twitter makes the world so much smaller, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like it. Well, it's nice that you found a great community there. Yeah, I've been I've been really lucky because I know that a lot of people don't have um don't have the same kind of positive experiences on Twitter. There's a lot of there's a lot of haters out there, but um I've been lucky so far, knock on wood. I've been mm-hmm. I've found some really fun people. <laughs> well, um, a few more questions for you. We've got about eight minutes left, and that is, what have you oh found gosh. to be the best tools to help you on your path to being successful? Oh, boy. You've See, talked about that's... taking risks and overcoming fear, <laughs> and you've talked about mm-hmm. kind of giving yourself over to the process of luck. But what other tools could you recommend to people? You know what? I think in this day and age where, where you know, you see reality television stars, who who become um, household names for just you know vomiting their life out on the screen and you see you see a lot of people who achieve sort of a notoriety 
without having put in a lot of groundwork. Um, I think a lot of people believe that that to be um, to be an actress or to be a writer that they're entitled to it. You know that 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 because they want it, they should be allowed to have. It. And I think that's a fallacy. I think if you want to be really good at something, you have to be willing to put in the work. And um, you know, I get a, I get a lot of people sending me messages and asking for advice, and I want to be an actress. And how do I? When you tell them that they need to go and take acting classes, they they don't want to. They just think I should be able. I'm pretty. I should be able to get an agent and just be an actress. I think a lot of people now, because of of Twitter and social media believe that there's a shortcut to success. And, you know, there may be um, some people who can take a shortcut, but for most people, if you want to succeed, you have to be willing to put in the groundwork. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my biggest my biggest thing is if you want something great, then you have to be willing to put in the work for it. And I, that applies to, to everything. It applies to, you know, having a good academic career. It applies to, you know, being a good actress and, you have to learn your craft, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So. And have you ever come face-to-face with obstacles? And if so, how did you rebound? Because from what you've said, it sounds like you've had a pretty charmed acting career. Well, I think I've yes and no. Um, it's funny, they when you start off acting and you're in your 20s and you – you know, I got my very first series and, you know, you do a TV series and then people are offering you movies. They, Everybody always says, I'll wait. When you hit 40, everything's going to change. And I always thought, no, nah, it won't happen to me. You know, I exercise, I work out. I don't think I really look 40. But I tell you, you go from being the ingenue to being a young mom. And then next year, you go from being the mother of a toddler to the mother of a 20-year-old. And that's an wow. eye-opener. Um, you know, my manager's assistant once said, you know, if you put on 10 pounds, you might get some of those juicy mom rolls. And I just thought, you know, it's it's such an unfair thing. The way Hollywood and, and portrays women. Well, you know, it, everything about it is un, is unfair. And, you know, I can just be wan railing against the injustices. But, say, if you put on 10 pounds, you can get those juicy mom rolls. First of all, I'm thinking there are very few juicy mom roles. And second of all, who's a 20-year-old to tell me that I need to put on 10 pounds so that I can be perceived in a way that's acceptable to the entertainment community? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a kick-ass. I'm, I'm going to be working out until the day I die. And there's no reason why the media shouldn't shouldn't recognize that as an option for women. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I it, it's so crazy. I get told I get told quite often that I don't look momish enough, and I'm thinking, what is a mom supposed to look like? Like why? Well, that's, Who's, that's kind dictate, of a loaded what question. A mom is supposed to look like? <laughs> well, I know, but it drives me insane that there's such a myopic view of what what a mom is supposed to look like or what a forty year old woman is supposed to look like. It's bonkers. So. I mean, I've just opened up a whole can of worms, and, and we have, like, one minute left to talk about. That's great, though. I'm I'm really happy you've, you know, you mentioned that. Um, and how do you sort of face that obstacle. on a day-to-day? You know what? You, oh, you have the only we have reason. A, we have a comment from the chat room. Someone named Dave Cowison wrote, oh. Hey, Victoria, great interview. Been a fan since living in Tara, Tara, wherever that Aww. is. 
That's one of my hometown peeps. Ah. Yeah, that's so. Well, so back to the question: Like, how do you deal with this? The kind of ageist stereotypes of Hollywood for women. Well, there's only one way that I know how to deal with it, and that's for me to just keep being a kick-ass. You know, I'm not going to shape myself to try to fit someone else's idea of what I'm supposed to look like. You know, I never have. Uh, when I was when I was doing my weight training and my fitness thing, I would get people all the time saying, oh, my God, look at your arms. You look like a dude. But you know what? I felt strong and I felt beautiful. And I would have girls writing to me saying, I love that that you're so strong and I want to be like you and I want to, you know, I want to be fit and I want to be a superhero. So for every person who thinks that I, I'm not appropriate role model or picture of what a woman could be. There are just as many out there who go, yay, finally something different to look at. Uh Um, So I think that the only way that you can fight against it is to be true to yourself. And I I mean, that's what I plan on doing. And if, and if I don't get another acting role because someone says a four year old woman is not supposed to have abs, fine. You know what? That's fine. (laughs) I'll just go right. And (laughs) encounter some of these issues that you're talking about. Cassidy is, is is up to her armpits in those issues because she's, you know, she's in a man's world. She's she's in an oil town where they don't appreciate women and they don't appreciate women who have authority. So she tackles those issues every day. She's well, a we have character. Like, she sounds great. I can't wait to read the book. We have about two minutes left. So we please, again, tell people, the listeners, where they can find out more about you. And then also maybe tell us a fun fact that people might not know about you. <laughs> In the age of Twitter and Facebook, I don't know if there's anything people don't know. <laughs> I had an apron collection that would put Martha an Stewart to shame. Yeah, how's that? I love aprons. I'm a huge fan. I wear an apron every night when I cook. I ha- when I have uh, at Christmas time, when I have all my girlfriends and my mom's here, and we all have a we. Everybody comes to my house and we make Christmas cookies. I have an apron for every girl who comes, and it will match their outfit beautifully. I'm but, that's that's a little fact for you. That's so cute. <laughs> so tell people about your website again one last time. So it's victoriapratt.co.co, um, and it's very new, and I'm very proud of it, and we're going to be adding to it and filling it out as uh, as we go along. But that's just come live in the last couple of days. And um, I would love it if you guys could come and join me on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is I'm Victoria Pratt. So that'll be fun. And then my book, Double Down, it's available on Amazon. Um, there's a Kindle and a paperback version of it. And uh, it's on barnesandnoble.com and iTunes. So I would so love it if you guys could support me with that. So people can find you everywhere. Victoria, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. So this is Tracy Slatton at Independent Artists and Thinkers. And tune in next week on Tuesday for Christabel and Kinder Jazz. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.